You may be seated, and the children who are going to Children's Church may head that way. All right, on the back of your bulletin, we're going to be covering Nehemiah chapter 10 today. I've called it God's Grace, a Fresh Start. And we're actually going to begin in the last verse of chapter 9, 9.38 through 10.27. We're going to see a firm covenant. And then in 10.28 through 39, a fresh commitment. So if you'll turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 10, uh, we will review just a little bit and then we'll get started. Nehemiah, we've titled this series, Restoring God's Glory to the Valley. And it's just, uh, it's just want to, before I begin, just thank Andrew and Eric uh, publicly that when uh, I'm not available, those two men are multi-talented. Not only do they work hard and they lead their families, but they're able to get up here and lead us in the Word of God. And I remember uh, when Andrew did it, listened to it, and was just truly excited for how the Lord used him that week. And then last week, getting to listen to Eric's message was again as excited about what God's doing through this pulpit and really through his word, and he's using those two men to do it. And so I'm very thankful for them. I'm glad to be here. Uh, we're going through the book of Nehemiah. The, the, we are, as an elder team, going through the book. It's not just the book I'm going through. We are doing it as a church. And it's restoring God's glory to the valley. We want to bring uh, God's name. We want to make it famous here. And what we've done... Um, let me skip ahead. We'll come to that at the end. Uh, we've started in chapter 1. When we go through, if you're new here, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. And we started in chapter 1 and we saw God had a vision. And, and Nehemiah had a concern to, to build the walls for God's glory and to restore his people. And then in chapter 2, Nehemiah had, took God's plan that he had prayed 120 days. And he took God's plan to the king and he took God's plan to the people. And they, everybody got excited about it. Nehemiah got permission. And then in chapter 3, it was God's work. Uh, we got to do God's work. Um, and, and Nehemiah and the people joined together and they built the wall. But then in 4 through 6, as soon as they started building the work, there was opposition to God's work. But they stayed faithful through it. And we learned how to handle opposition in 4 through 6. And then in 7, um, we saw the completion of God's physical work. And there were some names of the people who had, who had come back or who were going to come back to the city. And then at 8, we begin God's spiritual work, and it began with God's Word. And we talked a little bit two weeks ago on the Word of God and how we are just to open it. And anyone from the pulpit, as God has given us uh, in His Scripture, is to just open the Scriptures, explain the Scriptures so that anyone uh, can understand it. And then last week, Eric walked us through God's faithfulness. And as the people confessed, you just saw verse after verse from Genesis all the way up into Nehemiah 10. God was faithful to his people. What you're going to see today is God's ways. You're going to see God's people commit. They're going to make a firm covenant. And then they're going to uh, give a fresh commitment to doing things God's way. So let me pray for us one more time and then we'll get started. Father, I thank you that you've given us the book of Nehemiah. Not only to show leaders how to lead, but to show God's people how they can come together for something bigger than themselves. Father, I pray as we look at one chapter today, half of it names 
of people we've never heard of, can hardly pronounce. I pray that you would be glorified. I pray that through this sermon, your name would be made famous for what your people are committing to do. And so, Lord, we ask for your blessing upon this time. I pray as I teach, I would just get out of the way and let your words speak. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, two Saturdays ago, I think it's two Saturdays ago, I was driving uh, through the Glenwood Canyon. We were almost out of the canyon, heading down there to get some snow clothes for the kids. And right as we're getting out of the canyon, we're almost out, a faithful law law enforcement officer um, pulls me over. And so I was doing something over the posted rule of the road, and he pulled me over, and I began praying. My wife was very patient, and my daughter was perplexed. Daddy, why is the police officer behind us? And so I received what you call a ticket. And on that ticket, it said I had four points, and for a certain posted amount, I could send money in and get that down a few points. Uh, And as we were reflecting on it, heading back towards Eagle, doing the speed limit, I said to my wife, honey, that's not just an incidental incident. It's a spiritual issue. It is. See, God had something for me to learn that day. He actually had something for a whole family to learn that day, as Lauren's in the third seat, buckled up, wondering why there are flashing lights. You don't just pass that over. You teach her, Daddy did not follow the laws of the land, therefore Daddy has to uh, suffer the consequences. And then you go on to tell them the reason Daddy was suffering the consequences is that he was anxious. Just anxious to get through the day. Not Not an overwhelming worry, but just that low-grade anxiety that if you don't check it, Um, could cause danger in the future. It's like a man who's angry no matter where he's been in the world and what country he's fought for, but if he doesn't channel that anger, one day he can explode and commit murder. And it doesn't matter if it's speeding or murder, it's sin. God doesn't wink at the speeder especially if he's a pastor. He's a pastor. He doesn't wink at that, just like he doesn't wink at murder. And when we don't confess our sin, when we don't live repentant lives, uh, that's serious business to God. I had to go before my wife and my children and before the Lord and to just confess, Daddy sinned. And Daddy got a ticket and, and in God's eyes, whether it's speeding or it's murder, both are heinous in His sight. Both of them. The overflow of the heart, the foot will press. And so what did I do? Did I give up? Did I just stay down in Glenwood and wallow in my self-pity? No, I actually moved it forward. I, I said, you know what? I, I, I repented. I confessed to my Lord in heaven. I confessed to my spouse. I confessed to my children. And I changed my mind. That's what it means to repent. To change your mind and say, I'm going to drive differently from now on. There's no need to speed. I didn't mean for that to sound uh, memorable. But there's no need to do it. Because when we do it, and I've preached on it before, and so 
the Lord wanted the preacher of not speeding to get a ticket so that he could say, see, you've got to practice what you preach. And speeding is sinful. So I had to change my mind. I'm going to drive differently. And you know what, ha- you know what I found on the way home? Some of you are looking at me like, I sped to get here. Right. Um, you know what changed on the way home from Glenwood back up to Eagle? When you do the speed limit, there's a freedom. There's freedom within the bounds of the law. Really? Yeah, there's freedom. Like you can put it on cruise control and you can laugh with your wife and you can sing songs and you can play I Spy, right? Without wondering if there are a cop around the corner. And just the other day, Ashley and I were uh, going on a date. We are heading up to Edwards to eat and I had put that baby on 75 to click that Holy Spirit installed item in my truck called the, the cruise control. And we were talking, having a good time. And there was a cop right there. And I just, how you doing? Right? Because I was following the law. There's freedom. And the world would tell us something different. The world would say, don't want to get involved with those Christians because they've got a bunch of rules they've got to follow. I mean, I want to go with the Outback, right? Outback Steakhouse, no rules, just right. It's confusing. No rules, just right. How can it be right without rules? Or or I don't want to live by what I learned in maybe high school, but college, basic economics, that revenues must exceed expenses. That's That's a boundary I don't want to live in, so I'll go charge things up on credit. Or have you ever talked to somebody who's been involved in alcohol or drug addiction? who said, yes, they sought freedom in that fix, only to find themselves enslaved to that lust, filling something. Speeders, murderers, addicts, those who spend more than they earn, they're not satisfied with something. So they're seeking to do it in other ways. And what I want to show you from the text today is that within God's laws, the commands... There's true freedom. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. I see driving the speed limit honors God according to Romans 13. It does. And so today, maybe there's some of us who need to to recommit to that. Recommit to that true freedom within boundaries. We need to recommit to walking according to God's ways. But how can we recommit to that without being legalistic you know, either totally being paralyzed by God's commands to us or being legalistic about them. How can we, basically, how can we recommit to walking with God in a grace-based way? That's what we're going to see in Nehemiah 10. We're going to see a people recommit with a firm covenant and a fresh commitment to walking according to God's law. And it's nothing new. Abraham did it. He lied to protect his wife. And then he went on and he listened to his wife instead of God to try to get the son that he was promised. But each time he fell, he repented and turned and followed God. Moses did it. Moses took the law into his own hands. He committed murder and spent 40 years wandering. But God used even those consequences. Uh, Moses didn't like it that, that God said, I want you to speak to the rock. And in his anger, he struck the rock. And he suffered the consequences, but he didn't give up. He went right on to the end and he got to see the land. 
The nation did it. They were consistently wandering from God. But each time they repented, who was right there, who was faithful? God. And they did it at the end of Joshua and Joshua 24 where they said, we will serve the Lord. And then you see judges. Cycle of sin. But each time the people cried out, God was faithful. And so the point of all of this is you're going to see a faithful God who is always ready to give you a fresh start when you repent. Look at 9.38. We're going to begin there. It says, because of all of this, and basically what he's talking about is, is all of chapter 9 and really back into chapter 8, that Ezra had opened the law and they had read it from like 8 in the morning till noon. And if you're here with us today, we've decided to do that today. To go from 10 into 2. But from that day that the Ezra read the law, the people rejoiced and they lived it out. They lived in booths. And then they went into this, this basically Old Testament reminder confession all the way through. And then right here in 8 it says, because of all of this, we make a firm covenant in writing. In writing. On the sealed document are the names of our princes, our Levites, and our priests. They made a firm covenant in writing. And here are the people who signed that. On the seals are the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hakaliah, Zedekiah, Sariah, Azariah, Jeremiah, Pasher, Amariah, Melchijah, Hattush, Shabaniah, Maluk, Harim, Merimoth, Obadiah, Daniel, Ginnathon, Baruch, Mashulam, Abijah, Majamim, Meaziah, Bilgai, Shemaiah, these are the priests. And the Levites, Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, of the sons of Hinnadad, Kadmiel, and their brothers, Shabaniah, Hodiah, Kalita, Peliah, Hanan, Micah, Rahab, Habashiah, Zachar, Sherebiah, Shabaniah, Hodiah, Bani, Benainu, the chiefs of the people. Parash, Pehath, Moab, Elam, Zatu, Bani, Buni, not Bunny, Buni, Asgad, Babai, Adonijah, Bigvi, Adon, Atter, Hezekiah, Azar, Hodiah, Hashem, Bazai, Harith, Anathoth, Nabai, Magpiash, Mishalem, Hezer, Meshishabel, Zadok, Jadua, Pelatiah, Hanan, Ananiah, Hoshea, Hananiah, Hashab, Halohesh, Pilha, Shobek, Rehum, Hashbana, Masaiah, Ahiah, Hanan, Anan, Maluk, Harim, and Baana. Oh, don't do that. First song, first song. Go back to the first song. Not to us, to the Lord. He's recording these names for a purpose. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant in writing. He shows you the people and He shows you their purpose. That they made a firm covenant together as a people. This was not a personal deal. This was a public deal. You get their names. You have the religious leaders well, you had in 1B, you had the, the uh, governmental leader, Nehemiah, the religious leaders, both priests and Levites. And then you had the leaders, the social leaders of the people coming together, signing a document. 
Sounds like something we've asked our people to do. Just to sign a covenant. It's nothing new. It's in the Old Testament. It's modeled for us. And you may be thinking, yeah, but, but it's not commanded in the New Testament. It's neither negated in the New Testament. And the Sabbath is not commanded in the New Testament. But it's still a good idea to rest. Take some time and focus on the Lord. It doesn't even have to be Sunday. It can be any day and it can be for any amount of time, but it's the time where you and the Lord focus and you set aside your normal daily duties. That's what Sabbath is all about. It's not necessarily commanded to be kept on Sunday in the New Testament, but it's a wise thing to follow. And in the same way, it's so it's not commanded in the New Testament. There are many lists. We've read four of them in Nehemiah. We've got one more next week. It's all 11 and half of 12. Don't think I'm going to read all those names. Lists and covenants are biblical. And so what we're asking our folks to do is nothing that's unbiblical. It's modeled in the Old Testament, not negated in the New. And if you think about, well, we'll talk about more of this next week, but if you think about the lists of the widows and how did they know that 3,000 were converted and 5,000 in Acts, they had to keep a list of something. So lists aren't bad. And what we have out there, if you are considering, some of you have seen this before, uh, we have a church membership. In it is the bylaws, constitution, doctrinal statement, and a covenant. And if you'd like to become a part of Eagle Bible Church as an official member, we're asking you to sign a covenant. It's not a covenant that tells you you have to wear a dress if you're a lady and a sport coat if you're a male. It's not a covenant that tells you uh, you know, there's 52 weeks in the year. We expect you to be here 50, right? And if not, we're going to call you. It's not a covenant that says on there, uh, the church, uh, it, it talks about giving to the Lord's work. More on that today. Um, you need to report monthly to one of the elders what you're giving. We don't even know who gives. It's not one of those covenants. So maybe I can get Settle your nerves a little bit. It's just a covenant where we come together. I signed one. She's gone with her, right? It's called a marriage license covenant, so to speak. I made a covenant. Mitch Mayer was here. Her pastor was there. And there she was and there I was. And we exchanged vows. We told each other we loved her. And then I smooched her. And then we went and I put my name on a document. I am married to this woman in Denton County. Well, actually it was in wherever Tyler is, I forget, Garfield County maybe? And I signed it. And it's, it's one way to show that I am accountable, not only to all those people who were there that witnessed it, but I am accountable to that woman. Bride, bride, groom. So it is with Jesus, the bridegroom, church, the bride. We're not asking you to do anything legalistic. We're only hoping that what by doing that, it will do exactly what's, what's presented here. Because of all this, we make a firm covenant. We want, to be, we want it to be firm. And let me just read you one of the greatest uh, quotes about covenants. It says, The value of a written covenant it is, it is that it saves our praiseworthy desires from hovering in pious void. I love that. It saves our praiseworthy... Oh, I want to do it. This just allows me to do it. Puts it in writing. We have people already who have joined the church, who have signed the covenant. We have those others who want to join the church and have just not turned their covenants in. And that's okay. 
So we, we're calling our folks to do something that's not unbiblical. It's modeled in the Old Testament. It's not negated in the New. And so they made this firm covenant, and they didn't leave it there. They didn't just sign the covenant and say, I'm a part of something. Look what they do in verse 28. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands or from the neighboring peoples, they had separated themselves to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding children. They made a fresh commitment. Firm covenant. They wanted the world to see what was going on and God thought it well enough to put it in the Scriptures. 27 verses of names. And now they're making a fresh commitment. A fresh commitment. And they're going to do two things. You're going to see two things in 28 through 39. You're going to see a fresh commitment in 28 through 31 to live distinctly. The people of Israel made a fresh commitment to live, to, to live distinctly according to Scripture within their culture. You're going to see that. It's within their culture. So they're going to live distinctly. And then in 32 through 39, you're going to see them give deliberately. So a fresh commitment to live distinctly in the land and to give deliberately to the Lord. And in 28, you saw that they were repentant that they separated themselves from the peoples of the land and they turned to the law of God. That they were repentant. And it's the same thing that happens in 1 Thessalonians 1 where it says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had with you and how you turned to God from idols. There's a turning from idols to God. Here it's a turning from the people of the land and following their ways to turning to the law of God. And in 29, they joined with their brothers, their nobles, and they entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law that was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of our Lord and His rules and His statutes. Notice what they say here. Here are the two areas it's played out. It starts with the family and it shows itself in community. We will not give our daughters to the people of the land or take their daughters for our sons. If the peoples of the land bring in goods or do any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day or on a holy day, and we will forego the crops of the 70th year and the exaction of every debt. They were repentant and they made a commitment. And that commitment started in the family. And what they said is, we will no longer take men from the land and give them to our daughters and vice versa. And this is not about a race issue. This is about a relationship with the Lord. They're probably looking back and said, there was a guy named Solomon who took many wives from the land. And he was warned not to do it way back in Deuteronomy 17. And he did it anyway. And if you turn to 1 Corinthians 11, or, or excuse me, 1 Kings 11, you don't have to go there. It says, and they turned his heart from the Lord. It's not about race. It's about religion in that sense is that they turned his heart from God to their idols. And so what they're saying here is we are going to turn from following the people of the land and it's going to start in the home. And we're going to make a radical commitment to follow God. It is not about race because we know of another story where a Gentile woman made a radical commitment to God 
and entered into relationship with a man. It's four chapters. It's a beautifully written book, book of Ruth. So it's not about race. The reason why she came grafted into the land and the people is she said, your God shall be my God and your people shall be my people. And that commitment didn't just start in the home. They didn't just have their little family and do it. It spread out to society. Commercially, they honored God at work. If the people come in to buy and sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath day. And socially, they took care of their people. You could say they loved one another because we will get rid of, at the seventh year, all debts. And you can find all of that. As you go back into the first five chapters, especially the book of Leviticus, all they're doing is they're hearing the word of the Lord and they're living out what they hear. There's a freedom that comes with that. There's a peace. It's like me driving the speed limit. There's a freedom that comes with that. There's a freedom within boundaries. There's a joy in serving others. Amen? There was a van parked out of City Market yesterday and you saw the people who were loving others and serving others. There was a van sitting out there and people would walk out with a big smile on their face and they would hand the guys from CME vegetables to fill a food bank or canned vegetables or something. Here, this is for you. And the guys that were receiving it were joyful. The people that were giving it were joyful because they were living for something bigger than themselves. There's freedom within boundaries. There's freedom when we live for something bigger than ourselves. The overflow of your heart, it's going to be reflected in your calendar. Here they said, we're not going to work on this day. Because to work on this day would dishonor God. And so they reordered their work life around God's law. Notice a couple things. They didn't separate themselves geographically from the people. They were still there. When these people bring things in, we're not going to do this. And they didn't disengage from society. They were still working. They just said, what we're going to do is change the way we live around other people. God does not call us to live in monasteries. It would be really easy in this part of the country, right, to lead a crusade, let's go that way just a little bit, 10 miles in the mountains. Let's all build ourselves a little monastery. Let's escape from the world and let's just get in lotus position and meditate on the law, meditate on the New Testament. God didn't call people to. When it says separated here, they didn't just live separately. They were still in society. They just lived differently. And notice in verse 29 it says, And we will walk. We will walk. To walk according to the law is to know it and then to do it. So they made a repentant commitment to reform society within society. To live distinctly. A fresh commitment. I'm going to do things different. I'm not just going to follow the way the world does it. I'm going to look at what God says to do and do it. And in 32 through 39, you're going to see four things about giving deliberately. They made a fresh commitment to give deliberately to God's work. Verse 32, we also take for ourselves the obligation to give yearly a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God, for the showbread, for the regular grain offering, for the regular burn offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, the appointed feasts, the holy things, and the sins to make atonement for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. They gave freely, but they didn't give ignorantly. They gave freely, but not ignorantly which means they were not coerced into giving. These are the people who had just made a firm covenant. 
There wasn't a priest that was right looking over their shoulder saying, how much are you giving? It says, we take on ourselves, ourselves the obligation. We take on ourselves the obligation. They gave freely. And they gave not ignorantly. They knew exactly what they were giving to. In the New Testament, it says it like this. 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. In the greatest verse, and God is able to make all grace, the term grace, love it, is used seven times in those two chapters, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. These people gave freely but not ignorantly. They gave out of the abundance of their heart. The overflow of your heart will be reflected on your calendar, and it will be reflected in your checkbook. And in verse 34, they gave sacrificially and responsibly within God's sovereignty. We, the priests, the Levites, and the people have likewise cast lots for the wood offering to bring it into the house of our God according to our Father's houses at the times appointed year by year to burn on the altar of the Lord our God as it is written in the law. So there were other offerings that they had to give to, but they casted lots. It's an Old Testament way. They just, in a sense, rolled the dice. Who's going to be bringing in the wood lot this year? It's different for us. We don't do that. In a sense, we are all here, and each one of us is in different, different um, financial state, so to speak. There are some here with lots of money. There are some here with little money. But we all must give responsibly within God's sovereignty and do it consistently. Consistently. It says it right there. And we gave year after year. In verse 32, we gave yearly. And in 36 through 39, they gave with a purpose and with a promise. We're going to give to the house of the Lord also in 36 to bring to the house of our God, to the priest who ministered to the house of our God, the firstborns of our son and of our cattle as it's written in the law. Over and over again, you see, according to the law of God, as it's written in the law. And to bring the first of our dough, verse 37, and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priest and to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all our towns where we labor. And the priest and the son of Aaron shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive the tithes. And the Levites shall bring up the tithe of the tithes. I'll tell you what that means here in just a second. To the house of our God, to the chambers in the storehouse. For the people of Israel and the sons of Levi shall bring the contribution, grain, wine, and oil to the chambers where the vessels of the sanctuaries are, as well as the priests who minister and the gatekeepers and the singers. They gave with a purpose to take care of God's house. All of that, we could go into the detail of that. I don't think this is the time to do that. But we could go into the detail of what they were supporting. But generally speaking, they were taking care of two things. God's house and God's butler. Right? The Levites, servants. What's the butler do? He serves the owner of the house. You have a butler in front of you. And they gave to support the Levites. And then the Levites, the butlers, the servants, the pastors, were to give a tithe of the tithe. You know what that means? It means... I'm to give my money to the Lord's work. 
And so the people gave with a purpose, to take care of God's house and to take care of God's servant of that house. Not that I would be the only servant. There are many servants, but there are some dedicated to it. Jesus said in Luke 10, Men, when you leave, don't take uh, extra clothes for yourself, but you will stay where people provide for you, and you'll eat what they provide. For a servant is worthy of his wage. Paul picks up on that in 1 Timothy 5, and he says, An elder who serves, an elder is worth double honor who serves in teaching. The honor of being an elder and the honor of a teacher. It's worth for the ox, so you, the, 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 worthy, the worker is worthy of his wage. And Paul even said in Philippians 4, verse 16, Thank you for ministering to my need over and over again. Paul had needs and the Philippians gave him financial support. So let me just say it this way. Thank you. Thank you to the elders. Thank you to the pastoral search committee for taking this text seriously, taking the text that I just mentioned and allowing me to serve undistracted. And you know what they did? They gave with a purpose, God's house and God's workers, and they gave with a promise. Look at the very last phrase. And we, this is the people, these aren't necessarily, these are all the people, not just the leaders, but we will not neglect the house of the Lord. And that's what we're to do together as a family. Leaders and all people come together and say, we're not going to neglect the house. I love that term, the house of the Lord. He didn't say the temple. He could have said the temple. He said the house. It's a family, right? It's a family. We're a family. Live distinctly within your culture, according to Scripture, and give deliberately to God's work. That's what he's calling them to do, and guess what? That's what we must do. One commentator said it like this, talking about the people of Israel. This would have been a heavy burden for a relatively small and poor community, but it was obvious that at some stage they had to face their responsibilities. The religious inspiration born out of a fresh commitment to the Lord gave them the courage to carry this heavy burden. In this way, they were united from the highest official to the lowest of the social structure. They gave deliberately to the Lord's work. Now, this is not a plea for you to give your money. It's just within the Scripture. And so when it's in the Scripture, we're going to preach it. And you need to know where we're at. Amen? They knew where they were at. They knew what needed to be taken care of. The burnt offering, the Sabbaths, the new moons, etc. We're 83% through the year. And we're only spending 78. That's a good thing, isn't it? Good thing. Praise God to to those who handle our money and to, to Becky and some of those who are, who are purchasing things, they're staying below budget. But guess what? Our revenues are only at 73. And so you need to know that. And you need to know that it's not a ploy. It's coming within the text. We're behind budget. And so the question would be, first and foremost, if you followed the text, are you living distinctly? And second, are you giving deliberately? Here's how you summarize this. How did, how did these people do this? How did they do, how did the nation of Israel come to this conclusion? How did they do it? It started in their head, Nehemiah 8. They heard the word of the Lord. Ezra explained the word of the Lord to men and women and all who could understand. It went to their heart. They were crushed. 
They were weeping. So this is not a time to weep. This is a time to rejoice. It's a time to rejoice. And then they went on and they lived in booths and then again they confessed. They went through this chapter-long confession in Nehemiah 9. And then it now moves out into their hands, from their head to their heart, and it moves out into their hands. We're going to live this way. We're going to give this way. And the Lord doesn't do anything different for us. He's not calling. He said, no, that's Old Testament. i got something new for you. He calls us as a Christian church to do that. And you know what? He enables us to do that. Look back up at that one verse in 33 towards the end. It says, the holy things and the sin offerings to make atonement. Folks, if we don't take this call and say, what does atonement mean here? The sin offerings to make atonement, they knew that they were sinners in need of something outside themselves to wash them clean. They knew that they had a God who loved them, created them, uh, chose them right out of all the other lands. I chose you in Deuteronomy 7. It says, not because you were bigger and stronger, but I loved you. And the people sinned. And the Lord established this system of sacrifices to make atonement, to appease God's wrath, to cleanse them of their sin. And that's what they were giving to. Guess what? We don't have to give for sin offerings of atonement anymore. Amen? We give, in a sense, looking back on what's already been done. We give because there's a gentleman who is not only a man, but a God, the God, combined in one, how? I don't know. He was 100% God and 100% man the whole time. And I don't need to split hairs. I just need to go, yep, that's what the Bible says. And he walked a perfect life. And he died a perfect death. The death that I should have died, the death that you should have died, because of our sins, not his. He died that death too fulfill what God had called him to do and to impart to us his righteousness. All of us who have responded or need to respond to the grace. And it's Christ's atoning work that allows us to live freely. You shall know the truth. What he was talking about there was the truth of the gospel. And the truth shall set you free. Christ's atoning work ties directly in to how we can live free in a fallen world. Right? Galatians. For freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. In 13 of that same chapter in Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then it says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Christ's atoning work came to free us from our sin to live radically for Him. Radically. We don't have to worry or concern ourselves with what the world thinks about us. There is no fear of man because we trust in the Lord. In Christ's atoning work, catch this, it's not often taught this way, but Christ's atoning work is tied directly to our giving. 2 Corinthians 8 Listen to how the, those of Macedonia, which might have been the church of Philippi, gave. We want you to know, brothers, 
about the grace, love that word, the grace that God has been given among the churches. And here's how they describe the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy, their extreme poverty overflowed with their wealth of generosity on their part. And they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, begging us earnestly for favor in taking part with the relief of the saints. And watch this. I say this not as a command, but to prove the earnestness of others that your love also be genuine. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. And right there in, in Paul, in his, if you read the book of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, Paul is persuasive on those issues. God loves a cheerful giver. And right there he said, it's because of Jesus' death. He was rich and became poor. You who are poor are now rich. And the people of Israel had to learn moves from the head to the heart to the hands. And I want to leave you with practical ways to do this in your own life today. How do we live distinctly and give deliberately? And do it not only today, but next year. The people of Israel, as you saw, were repentant. They had new faith in the Lord, the law. That's all they had at the time. And they committed to do new obedience. If you'll look at your handout there and turn to the second page, you're going to see it's the exact same thing for us. How do we live distinctly in this world? How do you and I live distinctly? This is your daily Christian life. I've not seen anything better than this picture of how you and I should live every single day. How can we make a fresh commitment to Jesus? Right here. You saw it in the lives of the Israelites. They repented under the law. They believed the law. And they live differently according to the law. But we are not under the law. Amen? We are under Christ. And so every day, every day, be you a speeder, be you a liar, be you a deceiver, you must repent unto Christ. And then you must put faith in Christ. And knew it. That's, that's the cycle. We are Protestants. Martin Luther said in his first of the 95 theses, all of life is a life of repentance. And for some of us, I love how this is a perfect balanced picture. There's too much repentance. We get melancholy. We're introspective. It would be like me getting that ticket and being frozen. No, honey, I can't drive home. I'm such a sinner wretch. And just being frozen. and No, we can't leave Glenwood. I'm scared. No. You're a sinner. You need a Savior. Even though you've confessed Him, you need Him every day. Get in the car, turn on the key, and go to the speed limit. Or there's too little repentance. Oh, that's just speeding. What does God care? Speeding. I mean, there's guys committing murder in our valley. I'm just speeding. And then we move to faith. And there's sometimes, there's some of us who have too much faith. We're mystics. We're waiting for the, the sound of God's voice before we move. And then there are some of us, there's just too little faith. It becomes legalistic, traditional, and you're trusting in yourself. And then in that new obedience, there are some of us who are too little in our obedience. We, we only obey and do the, the sins of, we don't do the sins of commission, but there are a lot of sins of omission we avoid. And then there are some of us who have too much obedience. We go beyond the scriptures and add to it, and we've got our own little game we're playing with ourselves. Takes one to know one, right? 
set up these standards that you're going to follow, and then this is the standard that I follow, and I missed it. Woe is me because I didn't follow Judd's standard, not the Bible standard. It's a good article. Repent, believe, do. And when you do that, make a fresh commitment today to live according to the Word. Make a fresh commitment to live according to the Word, meaning you've got to know it before you can live by it. Amen? You've got to know it. And over the next couple months, we're going to be showing you some reading plans to help you. I want to take those who have never read the Bible, and let's read through the Bible more than once a year. That'd be crazy. But we're going to start small, and we're going to show you different reading plans. But you can't live distinctly according to the Word if you don't know the Word. And then live distinctly, you've got to just make a commitment in your own life. I'm going to live differently than the world. I'm not really going to be concerned with what my friends think. I'm more concerned with what God thinks. And finally, just make a fresh commitment today uh, to give deliberately to the Lord's work. If you're in debt, might I say, God's work's going to continue, be it at this church and every church. Get out of debt. Proverbs 22, 7, the borrower is the lender's slave. Let's just get it. You get out of the bondage of, of money and into the blessings of ministry. And then give according to your means out of the overflow of a cheerful heart. And then live. Give and live. <laughs> Go to Dusty Boot. Once you get your debts paid off, well, I mean, as you're paying them off, go to the Dusty Boot. And you go there for dessert with your wife. And you get the cowboy cake. Anybody had it? Nobody. It's big enough to feed a family. And you eat it and enjoy it. But too many people have gotten so caught up into one side or the other. Too much repentance, too little faith, too many rules. And all we need to do is repent, believe, and do. And make progression in our life. I'll end with this illustration. Lawson, Lawson, our youngest son, is now walking. When we moved here, he was not walking. We had him in the exorciser. But he's walking now. And when he was learning to walk, he'd walk a little bit. He fell down. He'd right that up. And then he'd walk a little more. He'd fall down. He'd try again. He never quit. He didn't just lay on the ground and cry, it's over, I can't ever walk. And it's the same with us in the Christian life. Amen? Be we newborn babes or be we full-grown, mature believers who are pouring into the next generation. There's a song by Andrew Peterson, not to be confused. Andrew Peterson is one man, not the combination of two elders. And in that song is the greatest, that was funny, in that song was the great, is the greatest line for believers, I think, when it comes to walking with Jesus. Here's what it says. Well, I've realized that falling down isn't graceful, but I thank the Lord that falling's full of grace. Right? It's not graceful when you fall. It's rather embarrassing when you're, pastor and you get a ticket but you know what I'm a human and it, what, was, what was more concerning to me was not 
I got a ticket, but my initial response was, how much is this going to cost me? It was only after a little reflection that go, I just sinned against God in heaven. It's not graceful, but it's full of grace. It's full of grace. Make a fresh commitment to drive the speed limit. Make a fresh commitment to become a part of a church. Make a fresh commitment before you even do that to love your wife like Jesus Christ loved the church and to love your kids. Make a fresh commitment to lead your business life the way it should be done. Make a fresh commitment to get into the Word. I don't care how you do it. Get into it. Make a fresh commitment to do that. Make a fresh commitment to join the church. Repent where you need to repent. Believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall know the truth. The truth will set you free. There's not one thing going on in your life, my life, that the gospel doesn't address. And then walk again. Stand up. Or for me, get in the car. Turn it on. We're going home. And sing, Andrew Peterson. You know, I spy something green. Trees. You're right. There's a lot of them. Make a fresh commitment to live again. Father, thank you for the picture in the Old Testament fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ that we can make firm commitments to one another and we can make fresh commitments to live for you. You are the God of a thousand second chances who is always ready when we repent to forgive us so that we may have fellowship with you. Father, we thank you that you never give up on us, although sometimes we give up on you by not walking according to your word. Help us fall deeply in love with you. Help us not be those Christians in name only who tip their hat. But help us be radically devoted to living different in this society. And help us to continue to do this for another 40 years. And I pray for many churches to be planted out of this church to carry this on for another 100 years. Father, we can't do this apart from you. We can't do it apart from the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't do it apart from the Word. And so we repent. I repent before you that I, even this week I didn't walk according to your Word. And I believe that if I do, you'll set me free. You'll bless me. You'll give me with a peace that surpasses all understanding. So I commit to live my life radically for you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.